This is Paul from Magitech Energy Solutions. You're listening to 1590 WGCBO, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Nowak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. I can edit. Okay. All right. Please do it. <laughs> do want to thank you all for donating to this year's Thanksgiving canned food drive. It's tough to be hungry during the holidays. That's why it's so great to see you all step up so generously to bring in this wonderful feast. For instance, Phyllis, must have been very difficult for you to part with this dented can of water chestnuts. Well, they're good in stir-fry. Is botulism good in stir-fries? Creed, you brought in this can of garbanzo beans from 1990. Beans don't age, they're beans. It's a can of racquetballs. I don't even know what this is. Oh, Daryl, it's brown. Okay, what is it? What do you mean? It's brown. I eat some brown every week. Hot brown, ice brown, cream of brown, pasta with brown sauce, apple brown, scramble brown, fried brown. It's brain food. Poor people are not dumpsters for your garbage, guys. Well, they should be grateful. This is good food. All right, which is why we are not going home early today and going to hang out and have a little Thanksgiving feast of our own. Yes! With this canned food. You son of a... It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to This week's show is brought to you by Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, USA made with a five-year warranty. Jumpstart your plants with better light. And by Sitka Salmon Shares, bringing responsible and sustainable wild Alaskan seafood direct to your door. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. And it's spinning and spinning, and the password is incorrect. Try again. So this is, that's my sound effects computer, <laughs> folks. Uh, I was going to play all my fun stuff. and um, Oh, we do have the dingers. Yeah, uh, that's old school. We got the yeah. old school stuff. The computer is really unhappy with us this morning, so. Too much turkey. Um and it's probably hunkering down because there's a there's a, a nor'wester on the way. Um, and it, as I was getting in the station, the flakes were just beginning to fall out there. It must be a winter uh, or something like that, or late fall, because uh, here we go. Let's uh, and uh, and by the way, welcome to the show. How's everybody doing? Um, probably not snowing where you are. Could be. Could maybe be. you've already gotten it. Um, maybe you don't get snow in your region, in which case you're you're doing better than we are today. Although, I, I, I have to admit, 
There's a reason I live here. One of the reasons is I, I like snow. I, I just like snow. And I don't even, I don't ski. I've never been on snow skis in my life. <laughs> never been on, no, that's not true. I was on cross-country skis exactly once, and it nearly killed me. Uh-oh. Across a lake. And they were like, oh, come on, let's go. It was, it was in Montana. In Montana. Let's, it was in Whitefish. Everything's frozen. Come on. Let's on Flathead Lake. Let's, I don't know which lake it was. Uh, Whitefish. Um, so, uh, and, and uh, ah, let's go across the lake. Well, they didn't tell me it was going to be like three hours on, on, <laughs> on uh, those skis. Um, but, uh, you know, I would do it. I would do it again. It was, it was a lot of fun. So I, I like snow. So I don't, I don't have a problem with it. A lot of people are, yeah. are not fans. And uh, we might not get to it today because we, we're talking – we got – boy, have we got an interesting show today, starting with hemp, H-E-M-P, hemp production, which is now legal in 35 states in the United States, as far as I know. That's what I can tell. And it changes every day. Mm-hmm. And it's been – you can grab that hockey stick – curve for the last decade yeah uh we're going to talk about how it's happening in illinois but uh that will apply to other places especially because we have farmers on today who are who are ramping up for hemp production in illinois and uh i'm uh, i'm very excited about that conversation and we also have Liz moran stelk from uh, the Illinois Stewardship Alliance. They fought to get that bill through. We also have one of the activists, Rachel Berry, who's a farmer, Ryan Butso, who's a farmer, Chad Wallace, farmer. Um, and they all have slightly different stories about what they intend to do. with. Uh, so we're, we're very excited uh, to talk about that. So uh, what I was going to say, at some point, maybe not today, maybe next week, I want to talk about de-icers. And your plants mm-hmm. and your sidewalk and your driveway uh, in the colder climes. If you happen to be up here, because I heard a comment on Mighty House Home Improvement Show, and they were talking about this. I don't know if you heard it, but they were talking about this uh, product called Propellant 49. Hmm. Sounds like really scary stuff to me. It's supposed to work like a dream. I went looking it up, could not find the ingredients for it. That's scary right the there. The active ingredients. No, you couldn't. And they hide it on purpose, it seems. So somebody knows what it is. You can send it to me because I sure couldn't find it. But So we're going to talk about all the different stuff, sodium chloride and potassium chloride and all that. But next, it's Hemp on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. From boat to rooftop, ho, ho, ho. the small boat fishermen of Sitka Salmon Shares cordially invite you to give the gift of their wild Alaskan harvest this holiday season. Their limited edition holiday box includes the highest quality sustainable seafood and a selection of small batch items curated specially for you. On sale November 23rd to December 16th at SitkaSalmonShares.com. Delivered between December 19th and 21st. Happy holidays from their fishing families to yours. This is Mike Novak. For the past couple of years, I've posted the progress of my tomato growing on social media. And each of those years, somebody said, what kind of sun do you have? My tomatoes are barely started. Folks, it's not the sun. I get my tomatoes started with Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Five-year warranty, USA made. Go to happyleaf.com and save 10% on purchases above $100 when you use the code Mike. Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Jumpstart your tomatoes with better light. 
Are you looking for a new ride? Ready to leave gas stations in the dust and speed down the highway 0 to 60 in under 3 seconds? Well, here's your chance. The Illinois Solar Energy Association is raffling off a 2018 Tesla Model X, the award-winning all-electric SUV, and only 2,500 tickets will be sold. Come on, we all know fossil fuels are going the way of the dinosaurs, but you don't have to. Switch your ride to an electric car by entering the 2018 Illinois Solar Energy Association raffle. All it takes is one ticket for $100 or increase your chances by getting four tickets for $300 at IllinoisSolar.org. So bury your fossil fuel car, go green with Tesla, and be part of a cleaner tomorrow. All raffle proceeds will fully benefit the Illinois Solar Energy Association, a nonprofit working to advance solar energy development throughout the state of Illinois. Winner will be drawn at the ISEA member meeting on December 6, 2018, and does not need to be present. Anyone in the continental U.S. is eligible, so get your tickets, the rules, and other small print details at IllinoisSolar.org today. I have to laugh because uh, snowstorm's on the way here today. But that's just in Chicago. If you're elsewhere or if you're listening to this on delay, don't worry about it. You have shoveled out You, you have already shoveled out. Uh, and that, uh, you know, I, I just popped in my favorite uh, uh, Xmas CD. And uh, that, that no, not that one. That was the backup I just yes. played. Okay, the other, the other one's still sitting there the with other, an error code. Right. I've got a, I've got a, an error code on the CD on both We're machines. Having a high tech morning here. Really, the computer will not let me do what it uh, what I needed to do, and uh, we'll uh, we're going to try to fix that. In fact, I'm going to try one more time. Let's see if we can log in. Oop, caps is on. Let's take that off. Uh, let's just tell everybody. Just, uh, talk amongst yourselves while okay. we're. Getting All right, technology welcome, going. welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Very pleased to have a bunch of people. We're going to try to get them all on today. I know Ellie is uh, in the control room with uh, Randall, and they're working very hard. We might have to do this uh, one at a time, but we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes. Let's let's start uh, with the phone, and we know that Liz Moran Stelk is with us. Wow, that what was that noise? Hello, Liz, are you there? Yeah, hi, Mike. So, <laughs> something interesting Someone's going. doing dishes in the background. Yeah, sure sounds like it. Careful what you do back there. The, the mics pick that up a lot. Uh, Liz Moran Selk is the executive director of the Illinois, Illinois Stewardship Alliance. <laughs> alliance? <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, which was, alliance, which was founded in uh, 1974 and um, is doing great stuff for whom liz uh give us give us your your elevator speech here <laughs> well the alliance we're a statewide membership based organization we're based down in springfield but we have members all over and we're organizing for a more just and sustainable and economically viable local food system that says it great elevator speech <laughs> there you go i have no i can't play sound effects or anything so you get the dinger uh and um uh, I this show came about today because I saw a post that you had done and uh, I I put it on uh, the back burner and said, oh, we've got to get to this. Now the elections are over and um, we're moving forward. But back in August, a very important bill got signed um, by who is uh, a guy who's going to be the former governor, uh, Bruce Rauner. Um, But and uh, that was uh, I, I don't know. You can tell me. 
if it was surprising that Bruce Rauner signed this bill, but he did, and it legalized industrial hemp production in the state of Illinois. Do you care to talk about the effort to get that passed? Yes, it's incredibly exciting. Uh, this was our, at the Alliance, this was our 12th piece of legislation that we shepherded through the General Assembly since 2012, and it uh, finally allows Illinois farmers to grow industrial hemp so they can join farmers in neighboring states who've already had that ability for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And it was a solidly bipartisan effort. And it's definitely a story of a real grassroots victory. It was Alliance farmer members that, that came together and teamed up with Illinois farmers union members with really strong help from the Illinois hemp industries association. And, you know, we went out there for a couple of years, educating lawmakers, sending letters, making phone calls, letters to the editor, lobby days, all of the things that you need to do to build a coalition. And um, in the end, it, it paid off it, last year. Um, it didn't pass by a hair. So, you know, persistence is the key. And we went back uh, to the legislature and uh, Representative Tim Butler um, from down in Springfield and Senator Toy Hutchinson from the Chicago Heights area carried it through and um, it was, uh, it was, you know, Governor Rana really left it to the very end to sign the bill. Um, but we were so grateful that he saw um, that, you know, farmers in Illinois really wanted the opportunity to have a, a new cash crop that they could grow and that, you know, it's, it's happening elsewhere in the country. And it was about time that Illinois got on the hemp bandwagon. Yeah. You know, the, the point uh, is that this is uh, from... Uh, my research and what you sent me, 35th um, state that um, uh, is, has, is passing hemp um, uh, or has legalized the use of hemp in the state and growing commercial hemp. So we're already behind. Uh, Illinois is behind. And as a matter of fact, you were speaking of the Illinois Hemp Industries Association. So let's go to our Skype line. We have phone. We have Skype. And we've got Rachel Berry uh, on Skype. Uh, who's a farmer in Princeton, Illinois, um, also one of the founders of the Illinois Hemp Growers Association. Rachel, good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here. I'm good morning. So, I'm glad you can be with us. So you had a hand in this, too. Um, so how long have you been agitating to get uh, commercialized uh, hemp grown, in uh, industrial hemp is what they call it, in uh, Illinois? Uh, going on two years now. And Why? Uh, well, you know, I live on a homestead here in Illinois in the central part of the state. Um, you know, there's a lot of agriculture around me. And, um, you know, I'm interested in conservation. I actually study permaculture over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I, the more I learned about agriculture in my community, the more I learned that, you know, there's a lot of uh, nasty byproducts of industrial agriculture. And, uh, you know, we could use something to help clean up some of that mess. And, you know, that's what brought me to hemp. Um, not only for my own property, but, you know, just for Illinois waterways and um, just, you know, for conservation. There's a lot of there's a lot of things we can use hemp for. OK, that's a really good point there. Uh, first of all, let me let me add something here. Uh, the Illinois Stewardship Alliance and uh, Liz Morant Stelk, also on the phone, uh, sent me some information about it. And they write that there are at least twenty five thousand different products that could be made from hemp, from plastic alternatives to hempcrete and particle board, food, cosmetics, rope, clothing, and much more. And that's according to North Dakota State University research. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, and it, 
and we are okay. I, and I and we can go into this history of hemp. We all know why it wasn't grown because it got mixed up with marijuana. All right, and the reason it is because they're they're the same species, which I find kind of weird. Mm-hmm. They're both cannabis sativa. However, um, uh, marijuana has high THC, THC content, and hemp has the the CBD CBD content. Now, it makes me wonder why scientists haven't separated those into two different species at some point. Um, do either of you, uh, Rachel or uh, or Liz, have an idea about that? No? Okay. Moving forward. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I mean, that to me, that's a big deal because if you – if in, in promoting one or the other, so let's, let's say you're promoting hemp. If you can say, well, it's a different species from cannabis sativa, mm-hmm. blah, blah, uh, or cannabis something else. If they, you know, it just surprises me that it, that it hasn't been separated because the, the two plants are the same species, but they have entirely different properties. You cannot get high from hemp. All right, if you do, you're going to get a headache, basically. Yeah. That's, this is what, what's going to happen. So, well, actually, a lot of things say the industrial hemp is the anti-marijuana. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I actually wrote that in, in, in the blog. So we've got the anti-marijuana and the marijuana. So we're trying to grow the anti-marijuana that has 25,000 different uses, and yet there's been this huge battle going on, and we all know why, because they, they got conflated. Um, the the uh, use of marijuana got conflated with growing hemp which is silly um, because it's, it's kind of anti-science. So move. So let's just put that all behind us and move forward and see where that takes us. In fact, let's go. Uh, have we got Ryan and Chad on the phone as well? All right. Let's, let's see what happens if we bring in, um, I'm not sure who you just uh, engaged there on the phone. Uh, is that Ryan or Chad? Right. Uh, Chad's here. Oh, you're both there. Okay, great. Great. Let's start with uh, you, Chad. You're a farmer, owner of Oak Tree Organics. You're in west of Springfield. Uh, you are one of those people that's starting, going to get ramped up for uh, hemp production next year, right? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. Let me ask um, you. Oh, go, go ahead. You were going to say something. No, I was just say I've, I was, I've been looking forward to this possibility and opportunity for for a few years and. It seems like now that it's here, it's a longer kind of like Christmas, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're almost there, uh, and but part of the problem, as we know right now, is that the law got passed, but it can't be implemented until uh, all the rules and regs yeah, are in the play. Comment period's gone by. And... Yeah, and that's and that's what you guys are waiting for right now, right, Chad? That's correct. Yes. Okay. So, and this this is all standard. State law formality. It's not just for this bill, I presume. Yeah, that's right. Right. I believe it's normal. Yes. Yeah. That's okay. How the government works. <laughs> well, yeah, any government. Yeah. Got, but but is it complicated by the fact that we have a new administration in Springfield? Uh, and from what I understand, in fact, I got an email yesterday from some folks who are looking at uh, J.B. Pritzker's choices for ag uh, 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 positions in the state, and they were flying it by a bunch of people and say, "Hey, what do you think of these names?" So that process is still going on, isn't it, Liz? Yeah, but you know, we're optimistic that the Pritzker administration is going to, 
um, is going to value hemp, then they're going to include, you know, this hemp rulemaking in their top priorities for the first hundred days, which they're going to need to in order for Chad and Rachel and Ryan to be able to grow next year. Their first hundred days would come up about April 19th, and we need the license process for farmers to be able to apply for permits to grow hemp by then, Mm -hmm. uh, if not sooner, in order to get a crop in the ground by May. Yeah, but before then, don't you have to have okay? When 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 Rauner signed the bill, it set in motion uh, a clock of 120 days to get certain things accomplished. What are those things that have to be accomplished by the end of December? Uh, the IDOA, the Illinois Department of Agriculture, has to draft, produce draft rules for public comment, and then the public can weigh in. And that was one of our our early asks to the department was to make sure that the process included you know, opportunities for genuine farmer and producer input um, Mm -hmm. on the rules. And then they take the public comment and then they issue final rules. Um, And so that whole process takes some time. And um, with the, the, with the transition, we know that those, that timeline would have gone a little faster if it weren't, you know, for the election. But um, uh, so it's, so it's a bummer of time, but, you know, but also we're, like I said, we're confident that, um, you know, the Pritzker administration understands how important getting this right is to yeah. uh-huh. the family farmer community. And then timing wise, though, you're also looking at gearing up for next year, sourcing the hemp seeds and and planning ahead. So it's, I, I presume it's a little bit of a fine balance here. Yeah, let's have, uh, um, let's have uh, Rachel uh, Ray weigh in on that. What's, how, and, and maybe Ryan and Chad as well, but start with Rachel. What do you have to keep in mind now if you're trying to get a crop in 2019? Um, well, things to keep in mind, um, you know, what, what's your field like? Uh, you know, from what I can tell, uh, hemp is going to do really well in fields that have previously grown stuff like corn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is your soil quality like? Um, that's the that's the biggest thing. All right, let's let's start. Let's back it up a little bit. Let's go back one step. Um, what are the ideal conditions? You you mentioned having grown corn before. Maybe um, Ryan or Chad can weigh in on this. What's a, what are good? In, in fact, Ryan, uh, let's let's bring you into the conversation. Ryan Butso from Butso Family Farm. Uh, they're a grain operation in Onarga, Illinois, east of Peoria. Um, Ryan, welcome to the show. And uh, tell me, if somebody's going to grow hemp in Illinois or elsewhere, what do they need to know? Sure, sure. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, I think first off, um, sourcing feed um, – you know, obviously, Liz's team uh, helping spearhead this effort. She's created a, a group um, of farmers, uh, an email list. Um, and on my own, I've done my own outreach um, into various processors and other growers mm-hmm. across the country and, and other states that it's approved. But uh, first and foremost, I, I'm going to treat it like any other crop. Um, it's sourcing quality seed uh, with, with a good germination. Um, and then it's basically, uh, you know, it's similar to what I do for corn or soybeans or wheat, which I which I currently grow um, organically. And that's um, what's what or, what are my fertility levels? Uh, what what sort of seed preparation do I need to prepare for in the spring um, in terms of, of working the soil and preparing it? Um, things of that nature to ensure that uh, that hemp seed has a nice seed bed that it's going to come up in and plenty of fertility uh, to grow and carry it on through the growing season. So. Um, you know, I prepare for each different crop 
differently. Um, throughout the winter, I do a lot of planning and seed sourcing. Um, and then you really need to be ready to set things in motion uh, at the very latest uh, in March because then um, spring is upon you and, and time is of the essence to get stuff planted. So, Ryan, you mentioned organic, that, and you have transitioned the Butzow family farm to organic. How much of hemp seed out there is organic? Is it kind of a mixed bag, or is it still more in the organic? I, I think it is a mixed bag. I think um, um, I think a lot of the growers are, are both conventional and organic, and that's really kind of what, what drew me to it is um, hemp is for, for big, big or small, conventional or organic farmers. It's just mm-hmm. a, it's an additional option that I think is, is – um, a lot of farmers are seeking for, and I don't. I don't exactly know that answer in terms of, uh, you know, conventional or organic seed. With the National Organic Program, um, as long as you're able to source uh, untreated non-GMO seed, which which hemp is, has not been genetically modified, so that won't be an issue. So, um, I think we would would have allowance of to grow uh, untreated seed because I have a feeling that the uh, the amount of seed out there is not as abundant as you're going to find in, in corn and soybeans. All right. Uh, we're going to have to take a break here. Uh, I want to let folks know that we've got Liz Moran Stelk uh, on the phone from the Illinois Stewardship Alliance, and we have farmers Rachel Berry, Ryan Butso, and Chad Wallace. We are talking about hemp production in Illinois. Uh, I had a really interesting comment come in uh, to our Facebook page this morning uh, warning us that uh, the woman is like afraid. She said, well, what happens if the chemical companies and big ag get their hands on that? I want you to to mull that over. And when we come back, we'll discuss it. It's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. And now for something completely different for the season, the frozen robins. Oh, holy night. Late December back in 1 B.C. Twas the night of the nativity. What a baby, what a night. Talented, funny, unique, the Frozen Robins are Chicago's number one caroling group. Exquisite harmonies, madcap improvisation, holiday sketches and characters, even a 10-minute version of It's a Wonderful Life. They are definitely not your mother's carolers. Go to frozenrobins.com or contact me, Mike, at MikeNovak.net. Because I'm not just a fan of the Frozen Robins, I are one. Do you love trees? Do you have a great story to tell about a special tree in your life? The Morton Arboretum and Open Lands have partnered to launch Tremendous Tree Stories, an online collection of stories highlighting people's connections to trees. Submit stories of the trees you cherish, remember from your childhood, or that hold a special meaning for you. Browse their collection and consider sharing your own tree story by visiting tree-stories.org. That's tree-stories.org. Let's face it, sometimes we overdo physical activity. That's when to give Dr. Bonnie Flaster a call. Dr. Flaster is a chiropractor who treats back and neck pain, but addresses foot, knee, shoulder, and wrist pain too, all with gentle, non-force adjustments. And she'll talk to you about your problems and work with you to devise the best treatment strategy. Find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. Flavorful golden brown turkey is the crowning glory of your holiday dinner table. 
and real butter helps you serve a butter-baked masterpiece. Here's how to butter-bake your turkey. After stuffing the bird, pat lots of soft butter all over, especially on the drumsticks, breast, and wings. Next, cover the entire turkey with cheesecloth dipped in melted butter to protect it from shrinking in your oven. Then bake it slowly, without a lid. Never higher than 300 to 325 degrees. Every half hour, baste with butter. When it's golden brown, you'll serve your family and guests the juiciest, tenderest turkey ever because you use butter. This year, bake your holiday turkey the American Dairy Association way with real butter. Okay, thank you very much. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. That's in honor of the holidays and real butter, and some of us had real butter uh, over this past few days. Uh, welcome back to our discussion um, about hemp production in Illinois. On the phone, we have Liz Moran Stelk from the Illinois Stewardship Alliance. Uh, also on the phone, Ryan Butso from Butso Family Farm, and Chad Wallace from Oak Tree Organics. And Rachel Berry, is, uh, she's the uh, guinea pig. She volunteered to be on the Skype, and we, and we really appreciate it, Rachel, because it allows us to have everybody on at, everybody on at the same time. What's the, uh, the name of your farm? Do you have a name? Uh, we call ourselves Hedgeboat Family Farm. Hedgeboat Family, and it's, it's spelled B-O-T-E, not B-O-A-T, right? That's correct. Where does, where does that name come from? Um, it's an old English term. It's, um, you know, hedgerow, like back in the day when you would grow large hedges and it would mm -hmm. fill with berries and, you know, uh, bunnies and bird eggs and, you know, people would come to the hedgerow for food. Yeah. Oh, we're familiar with hedgerows. We've talked about them on this show. I've had a guy on the show who is a huge fan of creating what he calls hedgerows for the 21st century. Uh, and he believes that we need to bring back hedgerows because there's a lot of biodiversity in hedgerows, um, places where animals, uh, insects, all kinds of critters can find uh, shelter and sustenance uh, where they can't in a farm field. Uh, and uh, I don't know if, uh, are any of you uh, uh, actively pursuing that? I am. Uh, okay, so you're... That is a goal, yes, for my farm. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially if if that's the name of the farm. Um, right. All right, back to the question I asked before the break, or I brought up uh, one of the commenters on our Facebook page when she saw that we were going to be discussing this issue said, if Big Ag and Big Chemical get their hands on this, it will destroy the product. Now, that's a sweeping statement. And I would add Big Pharma. Um, yes, and Big Pharma perhaps as well because, yeah, as you know, because of the oil from hemp production. Uh, who wants to, to jump in on this? And, and uh, <laughs> I know it's a, it's a little bit loaded, but I, but I am kind of curious uh, because uh, – maybe I'll start with you, Rachel, because one of the things you wrote is that you're trying to get small family farms involved in this. How, does, how do you keep that from being co-opted? by the massive outfits out there? Um, I guess I would have to say, you know, find strength in, in small groups or in local food groups like the, the, the uh, Stewardship Alliance. Um, you know, find, find strength in your community farmers. Okay. 
anybody else wanted to weigh in on this about uh, uh, about perhaps keeping this local, keeping this small, keeping mm-hmm. this uh, engaged so that all farmers can get it on board? Yeah, I think I think Rachel's Rachel's right. This is Chad. Yeah, um, she's correct. Uh, I think the only way is for the farmers to group together. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've we've seen over you know the history of farming, uh, farmers take all the risk, um, all the loss, and uh, get the get the smallest end of the pot, so to speak. So since there is so much money involved in this industry. Um, myself and other farmers that I've talked to here in the state, uh, some farmers out of state that are already in the processing and production part um, have run into situations like they uh, give their product to processor, but the processors don't want to pay them. And it's kind of across the board. It's not just one processor. It's like the processors have decided that they'll take the product, um, they'll turn it into something and you know, sometime later in the future, the farmer will get a check for it. Um, not necessarily much more of a check, but, but a little bit. So with talking to other farmers, we feel that if you can get, you know, in the beginning we're not sure, you know, how many people will actually be uh, applying, but, you know, groups of farmers in the beginning, 5, 10, maybe 20, and then in each one of those, those cells of farmers um, is a processor, and whether that's a, one individual that buys it with the idea that they all work together to create a product that's worth more money in the end, um, and something similar to that. But uh, the people I've talked to, the mm-hmm. farmers, um, you know, they're all eager to try to keep as much money as they can in, in the producer's pocket. So in the past, most of the hemp that we've seen in products in this country have come from Canada have come from China has come from elsewhere. Does that come over as raw material that's processed in the states, and you're going to be competing with them? Um, I, I believe that that's true. Yes. Uh, uh, Ryan, I heard you uh, you were going to uh, weigh in as well. Um, what have you got to add? Well, just over the since 2009, we we, we transitioned all all 900 acres of, of row crops to organic and. And I've seen just the organic industry change over that time, and 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 the involvement of big ag, um, and and I think just being being uh, at least from an organic standpoint, and I think the same could apply for hemp. Is just um, um, building a network with with your processors, and 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 as the other two have mentioned, uh, fellow farmers and growers, um, and and just sticking true and trying to stay true regardless of what's what's going around around you in the periphery. I think you know organic people have seen you know there's there's been higher profitability per acre and and people kind of follow the money and of course i feel like the same thing is going to happen with hemp once we get the infrastructure built up within the state uh, i think it's inevitable unfortunately that that bigger processors are going to come in and and try to try to grab their their piece of it um but i think just remaining tried and true and and the reason we're getting we're getting into this the three of us farmers on the phone is because it's it's um, we know it's healthier for the soil. It provides mm-hmm. us a, a, a strong, viable alternative to the commodity crops that are currently grown. Um, and I think if you're established early and on the ground floor, and you maintain those relationships with your end processors, I think that's the best thing you can do. Okay, you know, and you keep talking about uh, organics and and the benefits of hemp in the soil. Um, from what I've been reading, there are 
it's it's a great co- crop to rotate in. Uh, would someone care to explain why that might be? And I don't know. Uh, is that is Chad? Is that you? Who's moving stuff around there in the background? I'm not sure that it, it sounds like something uh, is moving around. But uh, how, who would like to uh, uh, jump in? Maybe Rachel. Let's start with you about uh, about uh, swapping out hemp uh, every other year or every couple of years for other crops. What's the benefit of that? You know, actually, uh, one of our other farmers might be able to answer that a little better. I study permaculture, um, so I don't do big rotations. I do small rotations, Okay, um, but they might be able to answer that a little more. Ryan or Chad? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm current, this is Ryan. I'm currently set up uh, on, a, on a three three or four-year rotation mm-hmm. uh, in, our, in our, my organic rotation. That, in, that includes corn, soybeans, and wheat. And the benefits I've seen from from going to a three year rotation is um, it really breaks up the pest cycle, helps to break up the weed cycle because you're growing three different crops. Um, if I can add hemp to that mix, I might go through through a four year rotation, and I think all the crops in the rotation w- would benefit from that. It just helps to have something different grown on the soil instead of a repetitive corn on corn year or corn on bean rotation, yeah. um, where you don't have a lot of the weed and disease and insect uh, depression that you would when you, when you spread that out. One of, one of the things that Liz brought up to me the other day, and I hadn't thought about it, but it's absolutely true, uh, you have to remember that hemp looks like marijuana when you grow it, or it's very similar. The leaf is very similar. Uh, and she said that part of the conversation, and maybe you want to address this a little bit, Liz, part of the conversation with farmers is going to be with local law enforcement. And so education, getting out there and communication and transparency is going to be a big deal, isn't it, Liz? Yeah, that's right. And also that the rules are, um, you know, that that the rules acknowledge that hemp is legal and is not um, an illegal substance. And so we also need, you know, rules from the Department of Ag. But I I think, um, you know, things that that producers need to keep in mind, you know, before they plant hemp. And the first is that you got to have a market, got to have somewhere you're going to sell it, right? You can't, you don't want to plant what you can't sell. But then the second is, you know, who locally in your own community do you need to maybe have a conversation with to open the lines of communication? We know in the first year or the first couple of years, there's probably going to be some hiccups. There's going to be some kids who might think it's weed and get in, get themselves into trouble. Um, so I, I think it's really important for producers at the local level to uh, have an open line of communication, which many producers already do. Uh, and that's one area that mm-hmm. the alliance is looking at. Where how can we help um, to educate law enforcement in the counties where producers are, are are ready to plant in May? And by the way, if folks want to get in touch with you, and we'll give this out again because uh, we're going to break in a second, and I'm going to let our farmers go and just hang on to you, Liz, because we've got other issues that you're talking about. But you can go to ilstewards.org, i l s t e w a r d s dot org, if you want more information. Um, uh, Rachel, perhaps you want to give a plug for the Illinois Hemp Growers Association. Did we lose Rachel? Oh, I'm here. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, the Illinois Hemp Growers Association. Um, that's a group that I recently started. And what we're basically doing is, you know, getting out there to educate the community about this. And uh, we're working on getting a, a community hemp processing facility put together. Um, so that's something to look forward to in the upcoming months. And... We had uh, one more. 
organization, didn't we? Uh, wasn't there um... the Illinois oh, I'm... Illinois Industrial Hemp Association? Okay. Yeah, that's also a group that I work with. Um, that's basically a think tank here in the state. And yeah, that's that's all farmers of all types, activists, um, advocates of all types that we get together and we discuss hemp and, we, you know, we help to work on the hemp bill. And um, yeah, we're working together to educate our community. All right. I'm glad I got that out. Thank you, Rachel Berry, Ryan Butso, Chad Wallace for being with us. Um, good luck. I hope the rules get passed. I hope uh, you're on board. In fact, we'll check back in next year. Uh, I want to see how things are going come April, May, when you're ramping up to do this. Uh, Liz Moran Stelk, uh, you stay on the line. We've got more to come. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne Keratin Smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. This is Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakening Chicago magazine. And for the past eight years, we've been helping Chicagoans to lead healthier and more sustainable lives. Pick up a copy of Natural Awakenings each month and enjoy new information about health and wellness, local foods, raising healthy kids, helping our environment, and living a more sustainable life. Get your free copy of Natural Awakenings in more than 1,100 locations throughout city and suburbs or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Bringing a lot of social science into climate change is really important. People who teach climate change now, you have to really get into how it's affecting people, how it's affecting the ability for people to cope, how it's affecting the ability of people to adapt or to mitigate. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate and how it might be affecting you, your lives, and your garden. On WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. This is your talk. Hey, this place is really something else, huh? Only on 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Hi, this is Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> Have a wonderful, crazy Christmas and a wonderful, crazy New Year. Go and go crazy! <laughs> The workarounds are working. Yay! Oh, now I feel better. Now I feel it's like like it's the holidays. I got Ozzy Osbourne and I got the Klezmonauts doing not oi to the world, but joy to the world. <laughs> Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, on the phone, we still have Liz Moran Stelk. 
uh, who's the executive director of the Illinois Stewardship Alliance. We got a lot we're going to cram in in about eight minutes here. So let's uh, let's get to work. Uh, Peggy had a follow up question for the hemp bill. So they've been trying to get industrial hemp through at the national level in the farm bill, which is stalled. Um, well, don't don't give away the lead there. So, well, no. But my question was going to be: when it finally does get passed, how is that going to benefit each state? Is it going to be easier to get things implemented in the states? Uh, as far as I understand, that uh, it would be a. Uh, you know, we've already, Mike mentioned, there's already 35 states doing it. Um, and that was, there's a pilot program that was in the 2014 Farm Bill that allowed, uh, you know, folks to, state departments of ag to issue permits to allow hemp. But um, hemp in the Farm Bill would take hemp off of the DA, DEA's list of, mm-hmm. you know, as if it would be treated like a drug. So um, clearly that would be a step in the right direction. Um we haven't been following the specifics of what's in the hemp in the farm bill as closely, but I will say there are some folks that are concerned that, um, that the federal farm bill, that hemp will include some of the things we don't want to see, especially in the state rules, like that producers couldn't had, would have to have background checks and couldn't have had a criminal history, things that should be totally irrelevant to be able to grow hemp. Um, so we're yeah. so we're keeping yeah. an eye on that, and we and those are priorities in this in Illinois rulemaking that we're looking for. And that's just the 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 nonsense that that goes on. Once you attach that stigma to it, you can't get rid of it. You know, right. and this is why. Again, it seems to me, uh, and it's just me here, and I and you know what, I need to get a um, a botanist in here to talk to science. Because if you could separate those two mm-hmm. species and say, we're not growing that species, we're growing this species, and then we don't have any more issues about it. And I don't, again, I don't understand why they haven't been categorized differently. But uh, Peggy's question led to the comment about the farm bill. The farm bill elapsed, didn't it? We ha- and, and, and that was at the end of September, but nobody's been paying attention to that. We don't have a current farm bill, do we, Liz? No. The farm bill, farm bill expired on September 30th, uh, and Congress passed no extension of that existing farm bill. Um, so we're operating right now without any authority to uh, have programs continue, like the Conservation Stewardship Program and the local food programs that support farmers markets, uh, the beginning farmer programs. So um, you know those programs are funded and are supported, but um, the agency has no authorization through the farm bill to keep them going. So that's a, a real problem. Yeah. <laughs> and this is in, a, in the worst time where mm-hmm. prices are low. We have trade, you know, trade issues. Uh, it couldn't be a worse time for Congress to, um, to be, to be, a, on to the be abandoning the farmer and to abdicating their job. Okay, we let we're letting the farmers dangle out there. And and as uh, one of the uh, farmers we had on earlier, it it was um, uh, Rachel, who who basically said, uh, well, actually, somebody wrote in in, in another comment on Twitter when we posted this and said, well, it's going to make up now, maybe because uh, there's no money in soybeans. uh, Farmers will go to hemp. And I said, yeah, kind of looks that way, doesn't it? It's it's. Uh, but without a farm bill, uh, it just makes it really, really tough uh, for everybody in the country. Okay, a couple of other quick things. Uh, another good thing that happened in Illinois this past year was uh, about home-based cottage food producers 
who can now safely make and sell tomato sauces, salsas, soup directly to consumers, which is great. I imagine people in other states are shaking their heads and saying, why, why uh, didn't you guys do that before? But it's, a, it's mm-hmm. progress here in, in the uh, prairie state, isn't it, Liz? Yes. We now, uh, thanks to the efforts of so many folks organizing and uh, Stewardship Alliance members talking with lawmakers, we now, Illinois has one of the most progressive cottage food laws in the country. Um, this We just passed the, the latest extension of Illinois' mm-hmm. food freedom law that allows tomatoes, so um, so salsas and, and those kind of things to be produced in home kitchens. And Governor Rahner signed that bill. It passed unanimously through the General Assembly. And, um, and now there's home-based, hundreds of home-based businesses, um, you know, producing food for people in their community. And it's incredible. That's great. And the other thing that you guys did, you created a fund to match uh, SNAP, uh, Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program. Um, I think that's it, uh, whatever SNAP stands for. And uh, it's for farmer's market because Peggy and I talked about this earlier in the year where Mm -hmm. the uh, some of the subsidies were going away and it was going to make it hard for people to purchase at SNAP. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that law. So the the law that passed created a fund called the Healthy Local Food Incentives Fund um, that allows to that would create a five hundred thousand dollars state fund um, to be able to match SNAP sales. So a person using SNAP goes to the farmers market, they buy produce, and then instead of only getting twenty five dollars worth, they can get say fifty dollars worth. What the state fund would do, and that number five hundred thousand would be able to be matched by a federal. Uh, grant. And so Illinois could have as much as a $1 million fund. And that's going to help a lot of people be able to afford produce from local producers. And, you know, farmers can count on, you know, that much more in produce sales. However, so we passed the the law to create the fund, but it wasn't appropriated. The funds haven't been appropriated. So we're going to go back with a strong coalition back to the legislature. And, um, you know, this spring, and talk to lawmakers about how important and critical it is. To <laughs> wait, get wait, 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 wait. Okay, so so back up here. You passed the law, yay! But there's no money in the law. Boo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and next spring. And and next, yeah, we'll we'll be ran, getting ready to go into farmers markets at that point. So it's going to be really important to to get those funds from Springfield, isn't it? Yeah critical. <laughs> okay. Well, I know. <laughs> and creating the fund itself is, I mean, you know, it is important um, because uh, you can't allocate without the funds. So it is progress, but um, it, uh, uh, so we're, again, optimistic that um, it's going to be a new day in Springfield, that there's, uh, we hope, um, going to be more cooperation among the executive and legislature on things like, you know, the budget. Um, so we're optimistic that the SNAP fund, the Healthy Local Food Incentives Fund, is is a priority of the Pritzker administration. Uh, for those of you listening in other states, um, our government in Illinois has been really, really dysfunctional for about four years. So uh, we're trying to to move that forward here. And and you're doing excellent work there, Liz. It sounds like um, the Illinois Stewardship Alliance uh, has its it's uh it's it's hands uh on a lot of great issues a finger on the pulse is the yes. uh, phrase i was going to say <laughs> um uh so uh, in a, in about uh 20 seconds what else are you looking at that's really important well uh 
you know, hemp clearly the you know making that a, a priority in the first hundred days really is incredibly important. Um, and and so we're going to be working with the administration and the Department of Ag on the permitting process and connecting producers to each other. Ryan uh, mentioned that listserv that we've been organizing producers together to be able mm-hmm. to talk about things. Um, we're going to produce a guide on how to navigate the hemp permitting process. And like I mentioned, some education for producers. But then, um, you know, we're going to need to to focus one of the other pieces of legislation that we're considering and talking and doing some more research yeah, you on. You know it. what? You're not going to have time to get that out. We're run, the music tells us that we're about done. Liz Moran, still, <laughs> well, thank folks you. Can learn more at ilstewards.org. Join our email list. All right, uh, and you'll get monthly Thanks for newsletter. being with us. Captain's log, stardate four two three two six point one. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mister Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wharf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe, author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup song of humor. Or is that a dash? Call us with your questions and comments at 877-711-5611. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Guess what? We have, yay, ding and ding. We uh, The workaround is no longer needed. We uh, were able to... Why is to, it so quiet? Uh, I don't know. They're not something... Well, they get slammed in the trunk of the car and sit there all week and... Okay, and uh, we got we got we have the computer up, so Yay! I can so I I can play things like real butter. Okay, there we go. But the thing we need to play because this was our introduction to Randall. Oh, 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 these oh 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 I love oh 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 these I love I love. Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> all right, we're I, back in the swing I, of the holidays. I was looking at stuff here and I went, oh my gosh, I'd forgotten all about that. And then there we are. Thanks to Randall who put that together for us last year. But it also makes me realize that I have to play, at some point I'll have to play the uh, the Picard song. Oh, yes. Make yes. it so, make it yeah. so, make well, it so. And And the real butter goes back to the days of pirate radio. Yeah, this was an accident. When I was I was playing uh, 
the real butter thing, and it came out real butter came out like that. And I said, "Okay, I got to save that. That's too cool." <laughs> <laughs> this was pirate radio. Arr, pirate radio. Uh, but we love pirate radio. Speaking of pirate radio, speaking of pirate radio, the guy that got us introduced to pirate radio, Mr. Turk and Ms. Kendall. Yes. Uh, so today, with- playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall. A little high. Uh, With Bill Turk and... Gary Kendall. Okay. (laughs) Sundays, 1 to 3. That would be today. Uh, Bill and Carrie today are joined by the legendary Skip Taylor, the man who discovered the doors in canned heat. Skip Taylor? Skip Taylor. Oh, my goodness. What? Okay. Okay. No, I I, I thought you were getting ready to play something. You thought we were going to play something here. (laughs) No, no, Um, I could. I could. Okay, I'll find the perfect uh, response Just make sure Sony doesn't own it. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Artist Megan Williamson is stopping by. And we've they've got a couple of other things. An extended blame bill. I have a feeling today. <laughs> well, you folks uh, who don't know this, uh, Bill, uh, he's having his uh, interior plumbing taken care redecorated? of, redecorated with stints and things like that. He uh, he spent a. And I'm sure he's going to talk about it on the show. I doubt that uh, he he. Is uh, got uh, you know Bill. Bill talks about everything. He talks about his life. So, uh, yeah, he was in the hospital for a couple of days, and here he is back on the show. And so we were going to have him on our program this morning, and I said no, 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 no. You're uh, you're not. You're sleeping. You're sleeping in today because you need all the energy you can yeah. get. So we'll we'll have him on another week. Yeah, and so uh, the only thing I can say about what happened to Bill this week. Oh, that's nasty. Okay. <laughs> It's so good to have my sound effects back. All right, Yay. there I go. Yay. Um, so, yeah, and and that sounds like a great show. So I'm glad he's he's up and about yeah. to be part of that. And the other thing is that you've been listening and hearing the raffle information for the ISEA, the Illinois Solar Institute, or Solar, Solar Energy, Energy Association. Association. Uh, that raffle is this week, the 29th. So if you want to win a 2018 Tesla Model 10, you better enter by the 29th. That's right. It's 100 bucks, or I think 300 for four, four tickets. Four tickets, yeah. Right. And there's only 2,500 entries, I mm-hmm. believe. So it's really kind of really good odds if you've got a couple of hundred bucks lying about and you don't know what to do with it. Gosh, wish I did. <laughs> um, and uh, But uh, that is this week for the uh, the Tesla. You can go to IllinoisSolar.org to mm-hmm. purchase your tickets. There's a pull-down right there. You need to be a U.S. resident. Um, and be one of the first 2,500. That's it. Just a, uh, you, oh, and I got this uh, thing, uh, in Facebook. You, uh, you talk, I'm choking. I know you are. You're, uh, <laughs> and you're not even eating okra chips. Uh, one of the things we discovered last week is that, uh, okra chips, chips are really dry and they're really dry. And if you inhale it the wrong way, you'll just start coughing. Yeah. Um, so, and then uh, the okra chips just kind of get stuck in your teeth the rest of the show. Yeah, exactly. It's very attractive. Um, our friend Stephen Cutter just wrote to say, hey, we have 2.5, uh, now it says 2.5 M acres. Million? No. Really? Yeah, to grow on in Canada with Native Americans. Uh, get at me, Mike. I don't even know what that means, Stephen. <laughs> uh, and then, so I clicked on it and it says hemp future, okay. uh, hemp for the future, hemp future co- Hemp for the future, and uh, there's this. Uh, it's this organization. So he posted well, Canada that Canada is a big industrial hemp. Producer. Well, yeah, they're way ahead of us. 
So uh, I hope this works out in the state, and I hope it doesn't get co-opted by the evil doers, um, because this is such a good thing uh, to have this uh, the, the hemp production going on in Illinois it's, and in. And it's a huge business. It's it's just there's so much economic potential and, and potential for the farmers, the mm-hmm. family farmers especially. So when we come back, we're going to take a short break here. Another really, <laughs> boy, I tell you, we're, we're, we're talking real interesting issues today. And the, the, the next one is about the proposed Lincoln Yards neighborhood where the North Branch Industrial Corridor is right now. That's about as controversial as you get in the city of Chicago, especially with the backdrop of mayoral elections and 170,000 people running for mayor. So, coming up, Scott Wagesback, Alderman from uh, 32nd Ward. Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. From boat to rooftop. Ho, ho, ho. Yep, enjoy wild Alaskan seafood harvest this holiday season or give it as a gift. The Sitka Salmon Shares Holiday Box includes the highest quality sustainable seafood items for you and the people on your gift list. Keita and Coho Salmon, Pacific Cod, one grilling plank, two specialty spice rubs, one pin bone removal guide, and three holiday themed recipes. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Happy holidays from their fishing families to yours. This is Peggy Malecki. Do you want to give your veggie seedlings a head start next spring? Then do what I do. Put them under a Happy Leaf LED grow light, and you'll never go back to shop lights again. 50,000-plus-hour minimum lifespan, five-year warranty, USA made. Go to happyleafled.com and save 10% on purchases above $100 when you use the code MIKE. Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Your plants will grow bigger, faster, and better. Whether it's March, July, September, or December, if you're a gardener, any time of year is perfect for a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's the garden magazine for our region and one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, What to Do in the Garden, and even my column on the inside back page of every issue. I make up stuff and they pay me for it. Go figure. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. On newsstands everywhere. But go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. This is your talk. We're going to be here for a long time. Only on 1590 WCGO. Evanston, Chicago. Now, folks listening to this might not know it, but uh, this is called Santa's Blues by Charles Brown. Not Charlie Brown, Charles Brown. It's Charles Brown's cool Christmas blues. Well, I got to tell old Santa what's on my mind. <laughs> Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And uh, we're very pleased to have back in our studio Alderman 
Scott Wagesback from the 32nd Ward of Chicago. Good morning, Alderman. Good morning. Thanks for having me today. Oh, it's look. Thank you for being here. <laughs> this is a, a really, really important issue. And uh, alongside, actually, on the other side of the studio from him is Kate McCarter uh, with Friends of the North Branch Park and Nature Preserve. Kate, thank you for coming in. Oh, happy to be here. Uh, is the snowstorm started yet? Have you encountered just a little rain? <laughs> just a, yeah, that's what that's what I was saying. A little spritzing this morning. So I think you guys will be fine getting out of here and getting home. Uh, on the phone, we have Christina Granfield, uh, who is also with North Branch Park and Nature Preserve. She's the executive director. Christina, are you with us? Yes, I am. How are you, Mike? Good. Thank you all for being here. Okay. We got a lot to unpack uh, because there's a a lot going on here. Um, And we we should probably do just a a little quick background. Um, And uh, I'm not sure who wants to volunteer. I suspect that uh, either Kate or Christina might want to step up and do that because you are with the uh, Friends of the North Branch Park and Nature Preserve. And I will say that back in April of this year, uh, Alderman Wagesback and Alderman Michelle Smith Mm -hmm. from the 43rd Ward were on the show, and they talked about this development that is happening in Chicago. Now, if you're not aware of it, you really need to be aware of it. There has been a lot written about it. I'm not going to say that it is flying completely under the radar, but these issues have a way of being missed by people. I'm not sure how that happens, especially people who live in it. Yeah. Yeah, And I bet you get people coming up to you all the time, Alderman, saying... What's this all about? Yeah, I've never seen this before. I'm like, I've put it out ten times. It's I know on the radio. You, I, I get you, I get you your newsletters. I see it in every yeah. newsletter. Okay, yeah. and uh, and the and other aldermen are putting it out there, and they know how important it is because basically, all right, here's here's how I describe it. We've got this industrial corridor where we used to have scrap metal and and all kinds of industry mm-hmm. here uh, along the north branch of the Chicago River. And that has been cleaned out. That industry is gone and and is 760 acres, and it's rapidly being scooped up by developing interests to put in a new community. Here's the problem. We're taking probably – it's like taking the the village of Oak Park and plopping it down in the middle of Chicago, except – Without the trees and without the open spaces, exactly. Right. Yeah, and high, and skyscrapers instead of and adding skyscrapers and yeah. music venues and fifty thousand people and a right. soccer stadium <laughs> and that's just during the day. And if you've ever driven through there now, when there's nobody there, you know you can't get from one side to the other. Going east west or west east is already problematic because of the river and because the bridges are small and old uh, and need to be fixed. Uh, so now we've got developers swooping in and come on, Rahm Emanuel's part of this as well. Uh, Alderman Hopkins from the second ward is part of this. Alderman Wagesback and Smith, because they're in nearby wards are part of this. And the question becomes how, is this going to be developed? Is it going? Is there going to be open space? Um, is uh, what is the density going to be like there? What is the transportation going to be like there? What is the quality of life going to be like? And and let's not forget, folks, this is forever. This changes things forever. You don't get a redo on this. 
It so, really is. Yeah. So, uh, Kate, I've started. I've started in sure. that. So that led to the forming of this organization, Friends of the North Branch Park and Nature Preserve. Sure. Uh, just to give a little bit more context on uh, how much square footage there is, uh, if people can picture the north subzone, as it's known, of uh, the North Branch Corridor, uh, they're planning on what is 12 million square feet, which is equivalent to three Sears Towers between North Avenue and Webster, uh, which is just monumental. Wow. So when the, when the city did the framework plan, uh, which we have been frustrated with because it wasn't uh, a, a transparent process, uh, but they, they said, we're going to put a, aside 60 acres of, of open space. It'll be privately owned, uh, but it, it'll be enough open space within this 760 acres. <laughs> to do what? If well, it's, if it's privately is, owned. <laughs> yeah. and, and the thing is, is that it, it's basically two sidewalks, if, if all this land can be developed, on either side of the river. It's a 30-foot setback. And if you go visit C.H. Robinson, there's actually not uh, – It's the width is not enough for both bicycles and walking. And um, it is, is also partially – uh, underwater, there's uh, 17 <laughs> acres of marshland, okay. um, which really doesn't hold the same promise for accessibility. I've said I'm not going to levitate yeah. over the water uh, to have my picnic. However, uh, however, uh, let let me take the opposing view, which is at least it's some could be some kind of habitat, right? Yes, definitely riparian habitat, um, yeah. which is some of the goals. And the other thing I hear is that. In some of the calculations, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, the open space above the Chicago River is being counted as open space as well. Uh, not in its entirety, but 17 acres of it. I think what they could include as well as rooftop gardens, rooftop green space, and that's that's what they're lumping together here, which is just ridiculous when you look at the overall impact of Right, the they're saying that, that rooftop gardens will yeah. be open space even though not accessible by Pretty anyone. much anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, and that's the point you're making too, Kate, which is that there there are promises of open space. It's not necessarily public space. And I love the calculations you did on the site, which is uh, – on, and you can go to my website, mikenovak.net, and you can see uh, the uh, the blog post I did. And uh, let me get back to this a second. I just lost my – my place here and my, but your calculations, you look at examples uh, all over the world uh, of what open space is supposed to mean. Um, And uh, you guys have determined that this does not meet it at all. Um, So uh, you put a PDF together and you can, I have the link there. And you note that global open space benchmarks for urban redevelopments, the size of, of North Branch, 760 um, uh, acres, is about 20% of the area. So if you have 760 acres like they're doing here in throughout the world, mm-hmm. normally they would say what's acceptable is about 20% is open land. All right. The 60 acres you're talking about amounts to only 8%. Mm-hmm. And – even if you add, and we'll get to the, the idea of this park, if you add the 24-acre North Branch Park, that would only increase the number to 11%. So they would still be half of what is normal, what is considered normal throughout the world. Yeah, and if we want to aim to be a world-class city, which is really what the Department of 
planning and development has talked about, what Mayor Emanuel has talked about. Uh, this is something that we have to aim for. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I wonder uh, if at that's this point, Christina, you, uh, if you'd like to jump in, too, since you're not here in the studio. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, um, this is really just a once-in-a-lifetime, you know, opportunity. And you're right, Mike. I mean, it's, once it's gone, it's gone forever. And, you know, that's why it's been so important why we started this group back in July. And we've just been advocating just really hard to to get to make at least the situation aware and let people know really what's going on. Uh, let's get to Alderman Wagusback. And when you came here in April, you talked about the possibility of a 24-acre park. What, how would that uh, help matters in this area? Well, I think the big thing here that we have to look at as well is, um, and Kate and I were talking about this before we came on, about the impact across the entire city. We have uh, increased segregation in the city. We have increased issues with environmental uh, impacts. If you heard about the climate report that came out from the administration, mm-hmm. I think, Friday. on Friday, yeah, um, it talks about increasing uh, uh, cata- cataclysmic changes to our environment. And here we see the city of Chicago basically scrapping all these ideas that people in this area have said, look, we need to green this area. We need to uh, look at the environment around us. We need to look at our city as a whole. And here we are doing exactly what the, uh, we have Rahm Emanuel and David Reifman, the commissioner of uh, planning, or actually commissioner of development, basically saying, look, we could care less about what all you folks over there are saying. We're, we're taking the Trump line. You know, we're going to uh, we're basically eschewing this idea of having 24 acres of green space there. We're going to throw up all these towers. We're going to increase congestion over there and plop, as uh, Peggy said, a whole nother city right there. It is just staggering to look at this urban planning uh, policy and say that this is something people should be doing. Uh, it's not. It's this is not urban planning. This not at all. No, yeah, not no, at all. It doesn't even come close. It's not green. It's the antithesis of green. Uh, people in the city of Chicago should be up in arms. There should be pitch- everybody in the city. Right. Not everybody, the not the people there, because it's yeah. going to affect all your quality because all that money is going to get sucked in there right. from everywhere else in the it's city. Being diverted from any other projects. Um, right. and, and I don't know why people are not out in the streets with pitchforks and torches right now. To tell well, you the truth, you were at the meeting the other night that we had, and uh, I've I've never seen some of the people that, was that a got up. Community and, meeting for a, Lincoln Yards, right? A community meeting. Well, it was actually the city of Chicago called it, and they were they said we're only going to describe the TIF uh, district that we're yeah. creating for this. We're not going to talk about Lincoln Yards and the development. But of course, everybody in the room said, "Screw that! We're talking about the development." Exactly, and they did, and they talked about the TIFs, and they said basically, "We don't want the TIF." Uh, it's going to take away money that could be used elsewhere. And B, where are the parks? Where's the open space? And the yep. chant of the evening was no park, no deal. Right. And mm-hmm. I've never seen some of these people stand up that had uh, that night, um, which was it was heartening to see that. But I think, uh, you know, as we were kind of viewing that, we were thinking, wow, the city's moving forward at full speed to try to jam this through before Rahm Emanuel leaves. Why? Um, it's all about money. It's purely about money with Rahm Emanuel and the people that he supports. And this developer, Sterling Bay, I'm sorry to say it, uh, is doing a really poor job of coming out and working with the community and saying, here's what we want, and let's negotiate this. And I think the negotiation now is going to be a lot harder for them as new aldermen come on board and a new mayor comes on board and says, this is wrongheaded, not only for the, the climate, for our environment, for our children, 
I mean, this is basically a slap in the face to not only the families and the people that are living in this area now, but it's a slap in the face to the future of this city. And the history of this city. Yes. If you look at Daniel Burnham and yep. what he did and what we have done in the past, this is, this, is, uh, this is embarrassing. It is. Considering what this could be as a model for how to, to grow a population in the 21st century, we are regressing. We are going backward. Uh, not just going backward, but, I mean, at an epic scale. I mean, if you look at <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is basically full speed ahead in reverse. And, uh, and that's the problem here. And I think Kate and a lot of the people working on, the, on this uh, North Branch Park and Preserve have realized that, you know, without this one particular piece, we're in trouble. But if you look at the overall mm-hmm. scale of this thing, it is and the and the staggering. point you're making about the t- you you guys say, please give us 24 acres, give us 24 contiguous additional acres, acres yeah. that we can turn into a park and preserve, which will still leave you with half as much open space as you should have in this development. You know, maybe it's time for you guys to say, you know, that time has passed. Now we want a hundred. All right, because you 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 screwed it up. You you've been playing games with us. Let's you know and and get crazy. Why not? Because you're. I'm you're, already there. You're, <laughs> not the crazy part, but the hundred. You know the hundred acres and yeah. basically saying this whole thing needs to come to a grinding halt. There's also the matter matter of whether, uh, as it's known, I think POPOS, uh, P-O-P-O-S, uh, privately owned public open spaces, whether. Uh, those should really count towards the total. Uh, Blair Kamen, the Tribune's architecture critic, wrote this fantastic story on Cityfront Center uh, last month. And he warned um, that Cityfront Center uh, was an example of the way things could go wrong. And Mm -hmm. specifically, he called out Lincoln Yards and the 78. So that's the piece of land that's just north of the river to the west of Lakeshore Drive, Mm -hmm. to the south of Ogden Slip. Mm -hmm. It's been in development for 30 years, Part of the river walk is open, but once you get to the spire, Chicago's boondoggle, uh, you can't go uh, east of there, nor can you go to do Sobble Park, which has been promised. The land hasn't even been remediated. But even more So basically you're cut off that, from the lake. Yeah, and even more egregious than that is open space that was open to the public uh, because of the complaints of the people who live there has been locked off behind a gate. So this sets an example for the things that can happen with developers. I and mean, It's all well and good to have policies, to have ordinances, but if there's not teeth behind it, and as Blair Kamen specifically called out the Department of Planning and Development for for enabling this, for not standing up to developers. Well, I'll tell you, I don't, I was, as, as uh, Alderman Wagesback said, and by the way, Scott Wagesback is in the studio, Kate McCarter, Christina Granfield uh, from uh, North Branch Park and Nature Preserve uh, on the phone. I was at that meeting, and the uh, city of Chicago people looked like deer in headlights uh, yeah. on stage. They, they, really they should. And here's the thing. There's another yeah. meeting, and, and we're going to get it out now and say it again before we're finished today, November 29th. That's this week. All right, Thursday. Uh, community meeting. It's a Lincoln Yards presentation. And this is the um, the developer is uh, putting this. Sterling Bay is putting this on, aren't they? I believe. Uh, yes, they are. Okay. Uh, Sterling Bay is um, the one presenting, and it'll be from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Park Community Church um, at, at 1000 North Crosby. Yeah. and I, uh, So same place as the last meeting was. Park Community Church, 1001 North Crosby in Chicago. It's on my website. 
Boy, if you thought people were angry with the city of Chicago people, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like this Thursday. And I can't even imagine how many people are going to show up to this thing. I know it's the holidays and so forth, but they're terrified uh, that this is going to get run through so quickly. And then we're stuck with this for the rest of our lives. All right. We'll continue the discussion. You can always call us. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Did you know a typical carrot travels 1,838 miles to reach your dinner table? That's not a sustainable distance, and it's a great reason to consider eating more locally. In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Reducing your food miles is one way to lower your carbon footprint and eat more sustainably, which is healthier for the planet and probably for you too. So go to your local farmer's market and get to know your farmers. Consider joining a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture, and get fruits and vegetables fresh from the farm directly. It's also a great way to stimulate local economy. Find a farmer's market or CSA near you by going to localharvest.org. I'm Green Diva Meg. Find more useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and, of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We have Alderman Scott Wagspack from Chicago's 32nd Ward in studio with Kate McCarter from Friends of the North Branch Park and Nature Preserve. On the phone is Christina Granfield, uh, also with the Friends of the North Park Branch, uh, North Branch Park and Nature. I want to say North Park all the time because that's a place yeah. I've been to many, many mm-hmm. times. So it's a little confusing sometimes. Uh, we're discussing the development of Lincoln Yards in Chicago. And if you don't know about it, you should. You should be paying attention. And uh, there's been a lot written about it. There will be a lot more written about it. You guys talked process. Kate, you mentioned earlier something about process and how there hasn't been a transparency. Uh, to listen to the folks at the meeting uh, which was back on November 14th, uh, the city of Chicago people uh, and uh, Alderman Brian Hopkins, they, they were saying, we've had a lot of process. This is, we've been talking about this for years. What's, what's wrong with that statement? Well, there are really two processes. Uh, there is first the North Branch Framework Plan. Uh, there were a number of meetings. It started with a design charrette. It ended with uh, four concurrent meetings uh, following really a textbook divide and conquer strategy. The thing that uh, that uh, I noticed uh, and others in our group noticed, they actually did a, a FOIA request in order to get the responses from the public to those meetings. If you do a keyword search among those 188 letters, people are just calling park, park, park over and over again. But we were never met with, with an adjustment in numbers or uh, thinking about what sort of open space would be reasonable for this whole new community that we can expect. The second uh, set of meetings that really haven't had transparency is there was a July 18th uh, meeting at Near North Montessori. And it was an overflow meeting. Not enough people could get in. It was Sterling Bay's first presentation of 
uh, Lincoln Yards. It was really a PR event. They did not uh, take questions. Instead, they separated people into tables at the end in, in which we had to wait in order to get questions, and there weren't really answers. It's mm-hmm. just been a very frustrating process. Uh, the advisory committee for um, for the North Branch Corridor, which is comprised of the heads of different community groups, actually penned a letter in the Sun-Times which said, which said, when can we talk? That's what they had to do. They had to go to the press in order to get Sterling Bay to respond to them. Mm-hmm. It's just been That's slow crazy. going all along. Uh, oh, let me let me uh, play something. Uh, last week on the show, we had uh, Alderman Brian Hopkins from the Second Ward, mm-hmm. and uh, we were actually talking about the uh, the carriage horse issue. But I, while I had him on the line, I said I had to ask him about this meeting and what's going on. And one of the things I asked him about is the process, which is uh, how is this uh, the the speed at which uh, the the people who are agitating for a park are saying it's going too fast. We need to slow it down. The tiff's too fast. All of this is too fast. And uh, this was uh, his response. Well, I think it's highly unlikely that final decisions on the Lincoln Yards uh, development will be made before the the next mayor takes office, whoever that uh, individual turns out to be. Uh, And I've committed since day one uh, that this process would take as long as it needs to. I personally am in no hurry, and I want to see all the questions answered. I want to see an open, engaged community process, which, by the way, we currently have. Uh, and, and I'd like everyone to have the opportunity to express their opinions and get their questions answered. If that takes six months or six years, uh, it'll take however long it takes. And, and I feel the same in this case um, with, with the TIF uh, proposal. Although I will say that the procedure that we're following right now is laid out by law. Nobody's you know, cutting any corners here. There's a certain number of public hearings that are required before you can get to a final vote on authorizing a TIF. And that takes months in and of itself. So we're going to proceed with that. And everyone who's suggesting to me that they need more time to get their questions answered, uh, my response to them is, give me your questions. I I agree. I've got questions of my own on this. And I'm not going to approve anything until my own questions are answered. So let's get it all out there right now. This was only the first of what will be several hearings on this proposed TIF. and give, given it, it's mostly in the second ward here, or, or is it entirely in the second? It's, oh, it's definitely entirely in the 32nd by, uh, by design. I mean, this used to be the, Not in the 32nd. Uh, second. I'm second sorry. Second yeah, ward. It, yeah. it used to be the 32nd and 43rd ward uh, redistricting. So this, this is when the, the redistricting that went on, on for 2015 was, was yeah. done with this in earlier, mind. Earlier than that. Yeah, but uh, it definitely, they set it up so that um, it was carved out of the 32nd ward. Because, look. That was your ward, of yeah, course. If, yes. And if I, if I saw this plan come forward, it would have been stopped in its tracks. Because we're talking, here you have an alderman talking about, you know, no final decision has been made. And there's a lot of questions out there. And I have my own questions. Sometimes you have to set the bar at a certain spot and say, you're not going above this or we're not going below this part of the bar. And, and our starting point has now been completely skewed so that people don't even know where the starting point is except skyscrapers, privatized parks. We know that's for sure. And we know that this TIF is moving forward despite the uh, objections of community members on every side of this project. Um, and, you know, when you look at the whole city again, and TIFs in the whole city, um, these pro- these TIF projects go forward at lightning speed. Nobody gets in front of them 
and says, hey, this thing is going to stop. I mean, I voted against a few of them here and there trying to slow them down. But um, the speed at which this one is moving and um, the nature at which it is moving, uh, it is unstoppable. Well, the other thing he talked about, uh, uh, Alderman Hopkins, is that, uh, and he said it on last week's show, is that no private individuals are going to cash in from this TIF. That is not true. So this is a developer-driven TIF, and if you want more information on it, you can just ask the pro on it, Ben Jarofsky. And he and right, I you've been on this. his show. I heard you on his show <laughs> recently, yeah. Yeah, and you know, and for years I've been trying to, to show people, like, look, the but-for test here for TIF, which the state uh, set up back in the 1980s, has been uh, completely uh, devoured by uh, protocol for the mayor's office, which is essentially uh, development at all mm-hmm. costs. And when you look at this particular TIF and you look at the December 11th date, which is basically our next meeting, we're moving forward on this um, to the CDC. We're only talking about a couple more steps before this thing is law. And no one has stepped up from the second ward. No one from the mayor's office has stepped up and said, hey, wait a minute, let's put the brakes on this thing. Despite the deer in the headlights look from the Department of Planning and Development the other night at the Mm -hmm. meeting where they, I think, were stunned that the communities on every side were opposed to this thing. And and that's also very interesting. Yeah, that's just surprising. In fact, right let's there. go to Christina for that. There are so many groups. If you go to your 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 website, so many groups that are on your side and saying, "Hey, let's slow this down. We need to change the the whole development plan." You know, the, scrap the framework. It, that's what I'm going to say. The, the framework <laughs> needs to be scrapped, doesn't it? It does. Uh, Christina. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, we we do have tons of groups that are, like I said, on, on our side, and our coalition is get growing bigger and bigger every day that are demanding, um, you know, what you just said. Um, and, um, you know, uh, this has been a really huge issue, and we're really, like, working hard at it every day. Uh, I'll just add, uh, Alderman Hopkins was on Chicago Tonight last week, and Aldermanic Prerogative came up. And he said that as far as this project was concerned, that he was going to work with neighboring aldermen. Uh, that would be Smith and Wagspack. And mm-hmm. since this was Wagspack's ward, I mean, he knows it granularly. It, it, Michelle Smith knows it, too. This is a math, mm-hmm. massive project. And, well, and, the, and, and, it's, it, and it affects and it's, all it, wards. That's why, yeah, that was the point I was going to make, is that you guys are in neighboring uh, 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 wards. And so this is not like this is going to happen in isolation. It affects not just you, as you mentioned earlier, the entire city, but especially mm-hmm. your ward and Michelle Smith's ward and, and the neighboring wards. Yeah, the environmental impact does. I think the impact on uh, city taxes, which we haven't really touched on too much um, mm-hmm. with TIFs, you know, it's grown incrementally over the years. Mayor Emanuel continues to pile on more. The basic, uh, the bottom line with TIFs is when you look at uh, 35, 40% of the city going to be covered in TIFs and a diversion of taxes, this is what's hurting the city. When, they, when they're sitting there talking about, you know, we need all these basic services and uh, wraparound services in the city and we don't have enough resources to pay mm-hmm. for things, it is because of the TIF diversion. And Mayor Emanuel is walking out the door. And I, I think this is where, this is a, a fundamental point is you should not be allowed to make these decisions when you're walking out the door. When you have a new mayor that's going to come in with new policies, mm-hmm. you have a new city council coming in, and this impact is not just going to be felt for those of us in the surrounding communities, the residential communities, but throughout this city. Well, you can't get a Supreme Court nominee if you're leaving office, so why, <laughs> why should you be able to get a, a whole new neighborhood, 50,000 population neighborhood yeah. in Chicago? Well, question for Christina and Kate. Are there any plans to have community meetings outside of the area so that people on 
say the south side, west side, wherever, know this is even going on and how it's going to affect them? Not that I know of yet, but that's oh, a really... Oh, oh go okay. ahead, Kate. Go ahead, Christina. You, you yeah, know. You, you seem to know. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah, so we are planning, and I apologize, I'm, I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing everyone, but um, we are planning community meetings all the time. Like I said, our coalition is growing in, you know, across the city and really making this a focus that this is not just an issue in the second and 43rd ward. This is something that affects the entire city. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, are, we have a volunteer coordinator, and we are looking to do different meetings with friends of the park and everything all over south side, north side, west side of the city, um, you know, and we're making those events available on our website. Uh, and I, we've got two minutes left. Um, two things. Uh, I will give the address of the meeting this Thursday again. It is 1001 North Crosby at the uh, Park Community Church, 6 to 9 p.m. I'm sure it's going to be packed. The other is you got to let the mayoral candidates know about this. I mean, they all of them should be saying, we need to stop this deal right now. Are there candidates who are actually saying that at the moment? Not that I know of, no. And that's that's a little disheartening because it, it means that they are not tuned in to the economic and environmental impact that this thing is going to have, the negative environmental, the negative uh, economic impact that it would have on the city. Unbelievable. Okay. Um, I, we're going to do this again. I, I, we need to keep uh, this discussion going. But again, uh, community meeting uh, for Lincoln Yards. Uh, Sterling Bay will be there, make a presentation. I hope they're wearing helmets, um, th- <laughs> <laughs> football helmets. Uh, Thursday, November 29th, 6 to 9 p.m. at the Park Community Church, 1001 North Crosby. Go to my website, MikeNovak.net. Uh, you can find more information. i got lots of links there. Uh, or go to uh, your organization, Kate, and that's North Branch Park preserve.org christina kate uh alderman thank you so much i wish we had more time we could probably go on for hours uh, about this there's 10 other parts of the story so there are there's more we didn't (laughs) get we didn't even get to the hideout and what's going to happen to that so it's very interesting stuff rick DeMaio with storm news coming up And now, for something completely different for the season, the Frozen Robins. Oh, holy night. Late December, back in 1 B.C. T'was the night of the nativity. What a baby, what a night. Talented, funny, unique, the Frozen Robins are Chicago's number one caroling group. Exquisite harmonies, madcap improvisation, holiday sketches and characters, even a 10-minute version of It's a Wonderful Life. They are definitely not your mother's carolers. Go to frozenrobins.com or contact me, Mike, at MikeNovak.net. Because I'm not just a fan of the Frozen Robins, I are one. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. 
Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at mikenovak.net. Merry Christmas, everybody. Now, Merry Christmas. And a twisted New Year. I don't think Mark Zuckerberg is going to block this one. This is like hopefully he's this was, up and yeah, and, and I know what he's going to say. He said, "Don't poke the bear." Uh, so I've said it out loud. So I'm not poking the bear. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, well, uh, let's bring in a meteorologist, Rick DeMaio, because uh, we we hear different reports. Rick, some people are saying snowmageddon, and I think it depends where you are. Maybe not so much. I just. Uh, uh, Randall was telling me that Kansas, he had a report of 60, how, what was it? Uh, gusts up to 60 with a, almost, a, uh, almost a foot of snow at the point. Right, in Kansas. So what are you hearing out there, Mr. DeMaio? Uh, well, I'm not out in Kansas, but I believe Randall. I mean, you usually <laughs> have 60-mile-an-hour winds at a place where it's really flat, and I know I was watching um, one of my friends, Mike Seidel, from the Weather Channel reporting from mm-hmm. Osceola. Uh, Iowa. There's 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 a mouthful, huh? Right. Um, and he had easily a you know eight to ten inches of snow on the ground. Yeah, this is this is a powerful what we call Colorado low, which means it basically comes right out of the eastern sections of Colorado. And these have been known to be some of the more prolific snow producers for northern Illinois. The track is typically from west to east. Um, it grabs a lot of Pacific moisture. Sometimes it gets a little bit more Gulf of Mexico moisture as it moves into Illinois. But for us, uh, about 90% of the snow that we're going to get is moisture that's coming, believe it or not, all the way from the Pacific Ocean. There's not a lot of moisture in advance of this thing. And even though we're getting a little bit of light rain, uh, the bulk of anything that's going to fall is going to be primarily uh, late this afternoon and into tonight. And, boy, if this would have come through a month from now, uh, 99% of it would be all snow, but the fact that it's coming through in the middle to second half of November means that you need to have two things to give you all snow, either a cold Arctic high pressure uh, in advance of it or uh, a lake water temperature that's about 33 degrees. And right now the lake water temperature is 10 degrees warmer than that. So any wind that comes off the lake is actually going to keep not only the air warm, uh, but also the ground temperature is warm as well. So not as much snow out in Kansas, but still significant amount of snow. Mm-hmm. And obviously, travel delays beginning late this afternoon, particularly tonight. You know, I got a I got an email from our buddy Pat Scatch, and uh, uh-huh. uh, he sent me uh, some information about warm temperatures in December following November snowstorms. Uh, yeah, I don't, you know, as, as much as those uh, temp- as much as those numbers. Um, are great to look at. I don't think they really have anything to do with climate. I really don't. Well, it was not to do with climate. He was just, I don't know, he was just making observations and, say, you know, saying that. Right. So, for instance, uh, there were 12 inches, there was 12 inches of snow in 1895 in November, and then they had four days in the 50 in December. Uh, in 2015, yeah. in 2015, yeah, we, we had, had all that snow. We had 11.2 inches, and then eight, right. and then in December, eight days were in the 50s, and two days in the 60s. 
So right. yeah, that's because that, that was that massive El Nino year. If you remember when we were getting that snow event, I said, Mike, I wouldn't be surprised if this is going to be the heaviest snow that we have all year. And remember, I was right. You were. You are the that's best. Because, that's because, yeah, that's because these Colorado lows are generally much, much smaller storms. So this is more of a regional weather effect. Um, and not to put the numbers that Patrick gave you down, but Colorado lows are not um, indicative of a long-term pattern because they're regional and they're small in scale. It, you, you can easily have a, a different type of climactic uh, pattern uh, take hold following this particular type of storm. And it also happens early in the year as well. So the only thing that November storms give you is a better chance of having a cold end of November and a cold first half of December. However, uh, <laughs> there is no signal this year that says there's going to be uh, a strong El Nino and, and temperatures over the last probably, I'd say, month to month and a half have been pretty cold across eastern sections of Canada. Uh, the Hudson's Bay low has been very, very uh, entrenched. Uh, so whatever snow that we get on the ground with this event, mm-hmm. it's probably going to be here for a while. Ah, and, okay. And the Great Lakes are, what, three or four degrees colder than normal, too, aren't they? Um, that I don't know. Or at Peg. least Lake I Michigan. I know that the surface temperature is down to about 44 degrees, and I think that's pretty much near where it should be for this time of the year. Uh, the only thing that we do know is that uh, the water level is pretty high, mm-hmm. so there's probably going to be some, you know, some pretty decent waves pushing up against the shoreline, uh, particularly late tonight and tomorrow as the system moves through. But from what I can see right now, um, getting into the details of the forecast, uh, most likely everybody will see rain up until like 4 or 5 o'clock this afternoon. And then when that rain begins to mix in with snow, uh, the surface low is really going to deepen just to the south of, say, like a Peoria Kankakee line. Mm-hmm. And studies have shown that once your low pressure gets to about the Kankakee area, that's when the winds come all the way down uh, pretty much eastern sections of Wisconsin, and it shuts off that lake flow. And that's when you can actually get uh, cold temperatures all the way down to the surface. And that's not going to happen until about 6 or 7 o'clock this evening. So we're going to see most of the significant snow hit much of the Chicagoland area, say east of a 294 line, uh, not until evening. Uh, So most of the heavier snow and the high winds is going to be impacting the area later on tonight, which is good for O'Hare Midway. But I was just checking flightaware.com. And it shows about 150 flights canceled already uh, to O'Hare and Midway and about 175 flights canceled from O'Hare and Midway. So already up to about 200. That number will most likely increase. Mm. But mm. if we can get through that 6 or 7 o'clock time frame without any snow falling at O'Hare, uh, we've escaped the, the the wrath of the storm without a doubt. Well, that's good, and and I want to and I want to defend Pat Scatch in just uh, this way because he's a stats guy. He just likes. Oh he, yeah, yeah. I call him Pat Stats, by the way. Oh, oh, I did, <laughs> oh there you go. I, uh, I didn't realize, and that's who he is. And well, he, I, I think yeah, I, I think the better stat here, um, is if you look at the all time uh, record snowfall for the month of November, uh, it's fourteen point eight inches set back in nineteen forty. So far at O'Hare, we're up to 3.6. And I'm thinking with the with the snow ratio being about probably 8 to 1 with this storm, there's going to be a lot of water with it, mm-hmm. so it's going to settle pretty quickly. I'm thinking somewhere between 7 and 9 inches for O'Hare. 
even though the storm is going to punch out about 1.2 to maybe 1.3 inches of water, the first part of it's going to be rain. There's going to be a lot of settling. I'm thinking even if we get eight inches, that'll put us up probably to the top five November snowfalls of all time. And if you think about it, with that snow that we had back in 2015, you're now talking, what, two of the last four winters or three winters, we've had record snowfall in the month of November. Um, and we've seen more and more of these trends of heavier, wetter snows uh, in a much more variable and warmer climate. Well, what happens then? Uh, we, we need to get a short forecast here. What happens then after the storm? Uh, cold. <laughs> uh, okay. we, we get we get we get into the mid 20s from monday and tuesday and the long-term pattern uh most likely will give us a pretty decent shot of another another area of snow probably coming through here within the next week to 10 days we could still actually warm up a little bit in the month of december as pat noted uh but right now the next uh, 10 to 14 days cold and staying cold and a pretty decent chance of snow uh, again later on this afternoon tonight again winter storm warnings up could even see a blizzard warning around here particularly west later on this evening as well all right well thank you rick i appreciate it hunker down uh, we'll see what happens sounds good take care guys all right you Bye. too want to thank everybody who was uh, on the show today and boy we had uh, a real cast uh liz moran stelk from illinois stewardship alliance rachel berry Ryan Butzo and Chad Wallace, who are the farmers. Alderman Scott Wagusback from the 32nd Ward. Kate McCarter and Christina Granfield from Friends of the North Branch Park and Nature Preserve. All I got to add is real butter. Okay, until next time, <laughs> go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.